John chapter 4, we're going to start at verse 1. Here's what the Bible says. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. But the woman then of Samaria asked him, How is it then that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater then than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water which I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will, come, will become a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Father, we thank you for the Word of God today. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you, Lord, for everything that you desire to do in this place. I pray that you would have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated this morning. Hallelujah. Well, God is good. Listen, last Sunday morning, as soon as I got home, testimonies begin to pour in of what God did in people's lives last week in last week's service. I'm very, very, very excited about that and what Jesus is doing. We've been in a series, and we'll continue that for a couple more weeks, on divine interruptions and seeing how Jesus and the supernatural break in into this natural realm and cause lives to be changed. This morning, I've been praying, I've been going over this, and even this morning, God's been speaking some very specific things to me. But I want to talk to you from a message that I've entitled, From a Mess to a Ministry. From a Mess to a Ministry. When you, when you think of somebody who's made their lives a mess, what do you think of? Now, I will submit to you this morning that none of us were born saved. Amen? Even if you were raised in church— your whole life, none of us were born saved. The Bible says very specifically, you must be born again. You say, well, pastor, I was a good person. I went to Sunday school. I was raised on the pew. That's good. That just means you were a self-righteous sinner. Amen. Jesus said, you must be born again. You have to have an experience with God where He becomes your Lord, your Savior, and you actually have a change on the inside. But when we start thinking about people who makes their life a mess, automatically we start thinking about people who are way worse in our own perceptions than we are. Am I right about it? Now, I was watching a documentary just a few weeks ago uh, on YouTube on a channel that I watch out of California, and there was a lady that they were interviewing who was a famous adult actress pornographic star. 
who had recently in the last five years given her life to Christ. And I listened to her story of her journey of redemption. Now, a lot of us would look at somebody and we would say, how could Jesus ever use somebody or change somebody of that nature? I mean, it's a terrible, terrible path to go down. You know, the internet doesn't erase anything. Uh, If you post it on there, young people, if you put a picture on there, Snapchat, you think it disappears. It really doesn't. It's retrievable. The right technological advancements can pull anything that's been on the World Wide Web out there and uh, pull it back into reality, to the scene realm. So this woman begins to talk, and the interviewer begins to ask her about her road to redemption. And first of all, he asked her, how did you get yourself in this place? And she said, how much time do you have? And they begin to tell the story. And she began to tell the story about how she was born in a broken home, didn't have a father, mother was single, having to work two or three jobs, in Southern California to put food on the table, never home, and she always lacked the affirmation of a father. She was always searching for some type of physical affection, some type of love, and then she recanted the fact that when she was about 13 years old, she had lost her innocence to the first guy who told her that, uh, that he, she was beautiful, the first guy that told her that she was loved. And of course, how many of you know there's a difference between love and lust? Come on, somebody. There's a big difference between love and lust. And this woman then begins to talk about from age 13 on, she began to get involved with the wrong crowd at school, skipping class, smoking marijuana, drinking alcohol, even as a 14-year-old, and found herself as an 18-year-old dropout alcoholic. At this point in her life, she had been from man to man to man to man to man to man when all of a sudden a guy comes and though she thinks it's just another boyfriend, he turns out to be a pimp who begins to uh, uh, use her body as a piece of meat, shopped out to all of his friends right after left, right after, y'all do know stuff like this really happens, don't you? Right after left, right after left, right after left, until all of a sudden she was introduced to somebody who quote unquote owned a modeling agency and then she said all the the next thing I knew my life was so numb on drugs numb on alcohol she was doing crack she was doing speed she was doing heroin all of these things led her down a path and she said before you know it I was in the adult film industry thousands of men hundreds of movies found myself at the bottom of the barrel she said I I was eat up with diseases and I literally wanted to kill myself. And I had gotten to the bottom of the barrel, bottom of the barrel. I tried to break away from the pimp. I tried to break away from the crowd. And something kept pulling me back until somebody that I knew came to me and told me about Jesus. She said, at first I was apprehensive at first, I felt like, how could a God that, that, that is so perfect and so holy, how can a God who's, who's literally hung on the cross and, and, and saved humanity, how could he ever love somebody like me? After all, I have wasted my life, and after all, I have given everything I have, all of my love, all of my affection, all of those things to people who could care less about me. My body is eaten up by disease. I am riddled with addiction. And so she said she ran from that time and time and time again until she ended up going to church with a friend who was persistent. 
and that friend finally invited her to church. And the pastor gave an, uh, an invitation at the end of his message. And this woman walked down the aisle and gave her life to Christ. Gave her life to Jesus. Totally, radically changed. Pulled herself out of the industry. She lost all of her wealth that she had acquired in the world. All of her friends were connected to that lifestyle. She walked away. She left everything. And now, to this day, years later, she has devoted her life to teaching young women values and to teaching ministry and the gospel of Jesus' grace and redemptive power around the world to people who seem that they're broken and too far for God to help. Literally, this woman, her life went from a mess to a ministry. It went from a mess to a ministry. That brings us to our passage this morning. In John chapter 4, Jesus finds himself breaking paths with his disciples, sending them on to get something to eat, and walking through a place that is known as Samaria. The region is known as Samaria. And Jesus comes to a place called Sychar. And this place has some really good standing in Jewish history, as the scripture tells us. It was a place where Jacob's well was in a watering well in Hebraic culture. It was a gathering place. Many families, many people gathered around this place and would get the water for their day and those types of things. And, and Jesus all of a sudden broke his trajectory and found himself walking to this place called Sychar in Samaria. His disciples split off and here he comes. It was an unlikely place for Jesus to be. Wouldn't be somewhere that most of us would want to go. In fact, when you read the Great Commission in um, the book of Acts, when Jesus tells us what will happen when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon us, Acts 1-8 says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria is at the end because nobody wanted to go there. It was a place of outcast people. They were, not, uh, they were not purebred Israelites. A lot of people in that day had a problem with that. They were mixed with other nations, other cultures. But for whatever reason, Jesus felt drawn to this place. Aren't you glad that when you can't come to Jesus, he'll come down to you? Whew, come on, somebody. I'm telling you, I'm glad that Jesus doesn't have to wait until we get all high, all holy, and almighty to interact with our lives. He gets down into the muck and the mire of creation and helps his people who have an inward drawing. See, we're going to see over and over again in these divine interruptions that God breaks into people's lives because he knows the very longings of their heart. Now, I want you to go into the passage with me, and I want you to look at this. Verse 4 and 5 tell us some very specific things. Notice this. It says, but he needed. Somebody say, he needed. He needed to go through Samaria. So, he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. I want to talk to you, first of all, if you're taking notes, about the confrontation. The confrontation that happened right here. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit to go to Samaria. He needed to go. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. And folks, I, this is not in my notes, but I want to break in and place this right here. You and I, if we want to be effective in ministering to people, 
we have to be led by the Holy Spirit. We absolutely have to be led by the Holy Spirit, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it takes us off of our path. You may have left the house in the morning, and you said, well, I'm going to drive to town. But the Holy Spirit says, okay, but I want you to take a different way to, to work today. I want you to take a different path to the post office today. I want you to take a different path in Walmart today. you got to be led by the Holy Spirit. Samaria was a place that nobody wanted to go, especially the Jews. As I said, it was a place where it, it was almost like a, a, a place of outcast. Those who didn't fit in with everybody else, it's like here's the Jewish people and everybody else is just kind of over here in a closet by themselves away from everyone else. Not only aside from the fact that it was Samaria, but notice this, Jesus encounters a woman. Now, interesting enough, he's in Samaria He's talking to a woman. Automatically, he's got two strikes against him culturally. Culture number one is that Jesus should not have been in this place. It was a place that everybody said, nope, we don't want to go there. Number two was a woman. In Jesus' day, and if you actually study Jesus' ministry, Jesus flips a lot of cultural things because in this particular day, hour, and custom, women were not really seen as equal as men. They really weren't seen as having a voice. They really weren't seen of having any type of, um, um, of uh, uh, purpose other than just just being married or whatever. And so a Jewish man would have never approached not only a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman. Now, I need to let you know that tells us two things. First of all, it tells us that Jesus cares about the well-being of women. I don't preach for applause, but y'all are missing it today. Jesus cares about the well-being of women. You need to understand, woman caught in the act of adultery, he stood up for her. Uh, this woman like here, he went out of his way. Woman who was grieving the funeral, Jesus went out of his way. The gospel given to a woman at the tomb after the resurrection, Jesus said, go and tell my disciples, I'm risen and Peter. Listen, Jesus cared a lot about women. Breaking some societal and some cultural barriers right here. That is vitally important. The second thing that is so important for me to realize today, and you and I need to grab a hold of this, is that it was in Samaria, a place that nobody wanted to go. It was the, the muck of the earth. It was a, uh, the, the scum of society. Here's what we need to know. Grace has no boundaries. There is not a place that God will not go to rescue and ransom a lost soul. He's not afraid of a brothel. He's not afraid of a crack house. He's not afraid of Samaria. He's not afraid of a bar. Come on, somebody. He's not afraid to go anywhere that people are afraid to go. He doesn't mind going to the skid row of Los Angeles. He doesn't mind going to the slums of Chicago. He doesn't mind going to any of those places. Why? Because he thinks that souls are worth it. Second thing I want to show you this morning, not only the confrontation, but the conversation. The conversation. In verse number 7, here's what we have. It says, a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it then, being a Jew, 
ask a drink for me, a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have uh, asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw with. There's no well in, uh, there's no bucket in the well and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank it for himself as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water which I shall give him will never thirst. But the water I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. This morning I want to talk to you about the conversation. You got to understand this woman was out of place. This was not the typical time of day that women in this culture would have drawn water. She was by herself. She was isolated in the middle of the day. Most people have drawn a conclusion that because of what Jesus shares later in the story, that quite possibly she was ashamed, she was embarrassed of the life that she had lived. Everybody know her business. How many of you know in a small town, everybody knows everybody's business? And uh, very likely, like Nicodemus in John chapter 3, who came to Jesus at night, she was probably trying to fly under the radar. The last thing she expected to encounter was a Jewish man at a well. And the first thing that Jesus begins to dialogue with her is the one thing that she knew about. Water. Water. You know what I love about Jesus? He always loves to talk to us on our level. He always loves to talk to us on our level. So Jesus pulls up the ultimate evangelist, pulls up and starts having a conversation about this water. Let me give you all a tip for evangelism. You want to get into conversations to talk to people about your faith? Talk about what they're interested in. If they like football, talk football. If they like cars, talk cars. If they like cowboys, they need to get saved first, the Dallas Cowboys. But if they like the Dallas Cowboys, talk about that. But whatever they're into, talk about that. Start a conversation on their level. And that's what Jesus began to talk about. He began to ask her for water. And that, that conversation, that, that initiation caused her to get on her defense. She's saying... How are you, a Jew, a man, going to ask me for water? All of a sudden, the weight of her life, her actions, and her consequences are beginning to show on her demeanor. And Jesus responds about the effects of water. Jesus said, help me, Lord, if you knew who I was. I know you're here because you're thirsty. I know you're here because you're looking for something to quench the thirst and your desire of your flesh. But if you really knew who I was, you would have asked me for a drink. And I would have given you living water. And at that moment, the woman becomes even more defensive because though this well was famous in Hebraic culture because of its uh, connection to the patriarchs of our faith, it was also centered around worship. 
It was a, 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 a center around a place of worship during that time. And she begins to say, well, uh, you know, uh, my people worship here and blah, blah, blah. And, and Jesus begins to have a conversation with her about religious uh, practices and, and those types of things. She begins to deflect and to, to detract and to default from the conversation until Jesus has to bring it back around. And I love what she says in verse 11. It says, the woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water. And then she begins to ask him, are you greater than Jacob? How many of you know Jesus is greater than Jacob? She's asking the right questions. He gave us the well and he drank from it as well as his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. He's trying to tell this woman, you are searching for something, but it is not going to satisfy your soul. The very thing you think you need is not what you need. It is a counterfeit of what you need. Everyone around you tells you that that's what you need, but it's not what you need. Jesus said, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst again, but it shall spring up in him and become a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. When Jesus then begins to ask her a question, he says, Go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus says, you have spoke correctly. You have had five husbands. And the man that you're with now is not your husband. And she looked at him and said, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Because I can promise you she wasn't wearing a scarlet letter on her chest. This was Jesus on a one-on-one evangelistic conversation with a person where the Holy Spirit gave him the words of knowledge that he needed to know what was going on in this woman's life. This is a sidetrack as well, but let me tell you, if you're willing to engage in personal one-on-one evangelism, trust and believe if you start out led by the Holy Spirit, he'll lead your conversation. Are you with me? So he had this conversation, and it took her off guard. She said, whoa, I perceive you're a prophet. Notice at first it started out, you being a Jew, and now it's, oh, you a prophet. She's having some progressive revelation here. Jesus said, you've had five husbands. The man you're with now, number six, is not your husband. What she didn't realize... She was on man number six, but she just found man number seven. And seven is God's perfect number of completion. This woman, like the woman I spoke of earlier, was looking for affirmation in all kinds of places. She had jumped from bed to bed, marriage to marriage, just like the celebrity I spoke of at the beginning of my message. Relationship after relationship, searching for some kind of void, searching for something that would fill the loneliness and the hurt and the emptiness on the inside. But I want you to know something this morning. Can't nobody do you like Jesus. When she found Jesus, she found the one that could satisfy her longing soul. Oh, it's powerful. You know, when I was in preschool, it was a few years ago, 
they taught us nursery rhymes. One of the ones that I always liked was Humpty Dumpty. Anybody remember Humpty Dumpty? I think I had a storybook of Humpty Dumpty one time. And I like it. It said, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All of the king's horsemen and all of the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. You say, Pastor, what does that have to do with anything? Because I'm glad we don't serve that king. Because the king we serve can take the broken, shattered pieces of your life and put them back together brand new as if nothing had ever happened. Jesus found this woman, spoke to her condition through a divine conversation, and it changed the trajectory of her life. From this moment, Sychar and her town would never be the same again because of one person who was led by the Holy Spirit. There was a conversation that Jesus had. She said, I perceive, sir, you're a prophet. If you read down to the rest of John the 14th, the John the 4th chapter, what you see, look at this. This is not in the, in the, no, in the text, but I want you to look at verse 17 of your Bible. The Bible says, the woman answered and she said, I have no husband. But Jesus said, you have very well said, I have no husband for you have had five and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you have truly spoken. And the woman said, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain and and Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. But you worship what you do not know. That hurt. We know we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for God is seeking such to worship him. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, don't miss this. Notice what she said in verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us these things. And then Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Notice this. You a Jew, you must be a prophet. I know the Messiah is coming one day. And then Jesus said, "Uh, that's me. The story doesn't end there, my friend. I want you to look at her conversion. I want you to look at the conversion of this woman who got a hold of a life-changing message from a divine interruption with Jesus Christ. Notice this. At verse number 27, it says, at this point, his disciples came. So they came back, you know, they've got their groceries, they got their bread, their milk, and their eggs. They came from the, the Brahms of Sychar and got all the food. And notice, notice what happens here. Notice what happens here. It says, um, <laughs> this is interesting to me. They said, what do you seek? Why are you talking to her? See, these Jewish men still have the same mindset. Why are you talking to her? What do you have to do with this woman? Notice what he said. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the what? The men. She said to the men, come see a man 
who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And then they went out of the city and they came to him. Now, this is the funny part to me because Jesus sent them away for food, right? In the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But then Jesus said to them, I have food to eat of which you don't know. (laughs) Oh, this is hilarious to me. They're like, Jesus, you're hiding a sandwich in there? Really? Like, you sent us out of the way. No, let me tell you something. Jesus had to get them out of the way. He had to get them out of the way because there are some people, even people who are close to you, that will not understand your assignment. And so Jesus had to distract them for a moment because he knew that a woman needed a divine conversation that would cause a conversion that would change a whole region. Are you with me this morning? So she went and told these men that I have met a man. Can you imagine? This woman been through five relationships, five, five engagements, five wedding rings, if you will, and then a sixth one that we don't know what he was. Now, she comes skipping back to town. And can you imagine these men saying, what is it now? Who is it now? And she says, let me tell you about a man. And they say, yep, that's what we thought. That's exactly what we thought. Bring him on, number seven. How long are you going to keep him for? Six months, eight months, nine months, a year? What, what do we got? I'm taking a little bit of elaboration here in the text, but I can just imagine this lady skipping back to her town and saying, no, 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 no. Let, 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 let me tell you something. I've been changed. I met somebody who was unlike every other man. He, he didn't just love me for my looks. He didn't just love me for my curves. He, di- he didn't just love me for my body. He, he didn't just love me because of what I could do or not do for him. He loved me because of me. His, ma- his name is Jesus. I want you to come see about Jesus. And so what did she do? She went and told all of these men and brought them to Jesus. Can I ask you a question? Since you've been saved, how many people have you brought to Jesus? It is the appropriate response to meeting the master. You say, no, I'm called to pray. Everybody's called to pray. We're all called to soul win and to share our faith. Listen, telling somebody about the love of Christ and what he's done in your life ought to be as as natural to the Christian as sucking air. Amen? Are y'all still with me? Because the conversation caused a conversion. And one person changed the whole nation. Don't ever think that a one-on-one experience is not worth it. I want you to close your Bibles this morning. I want to share with you a thought. There was a young evangelist. who did not have good success in his meetings. You think about somebody traveling from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting. You think about all these big tents. And back in the 30s and 40s, they had these big crusades and tent revivals and stadiums and whatever. There was, 
There was this young evangelist who was preaching his heart out. Night after night, oftentimes nobody coming to faith, nobody getting saved, nobody coming forward. He came to the place where he wanted to quit. He decided that maybe he was in the wrong profession. Maybe he missed God. Maybe he was just called to be a church member. Maybe he wasn't called to be an evangelist. After all, he had served in some really rocky ground. When all of a sudden, one night in an evangelistic crusade, a young man walked down this sawdust tent and gave his life to Christ. He was the only person who came forward in that meeting. That person went on to become Billy Graham. Billy Graham has touched millions of people for the gospel of Christ. Heaven is literally populated. The two, some, of the two, some of the two greatest evangelists in you and I's day for every generation in this room, two, two of the greatest evangelists that ever walked the face of the earth. I'm not saying they weren't men who had issues or they were perfect, but two of the greatest men that have ever walked the earth that had evangelistic impact have been Billy Graham and Jimmy Swaggart. True story. True story. But Billy Graham was saved because a man who was discouraged, a man who felt like he wasn't seeing results, a man who felt like his message was being sewn on the deaf ears, did not give up. Never underestimate the importance or the value of a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Do you know that in just a moment of a taking a second or two out of your time and having a conversation with somebody, it can change their whole family destiny, their whole family legacy. Everything can change because one person took the opportunity to go into a place where nobody else wanted to go. You know what? The people in Sychar, they were already had a bad reputation. They probably wrote this woman off and nobody thought that she would ever be used by anything. In fact, in her class, in her graduating class, she was probably voted the less likely to succeed. But God had a different plan. What am I trying to say this morning? God absolutely, positively can turn your mess into a ministry. He can. Nothing too broken. Nothing too marred. You say, Pastor Brad, you have no idea, no idea what I've done or what I've been through. You're absolutely right. Maybe I don't, but Jesus does. And he thought you were worth it. He thought you were valuable. And he moved heaven and earth to get on a cross to die for your sin. And the very fact that he's redeemed you from the muck and the mire of your life is the greater testament to the fact that we owe it to him to tell somebody about what he's done in our life. Amen.